0: Welcome to Lessons for Living Television. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. You know, all of us dream. In fact, the experts say that most of us dream about one hour out of every eight hours that we sleep. Now, most dreams, they appear to come during the last hours of sleep around the time we're beginning to awaken. Now, throughout history, People have been fascinated by dreams. On April the 14th, 1865, President Abraham Lincoln talked about a dream he had the night before. In a cabinet meeting, he said, I predict that something momentous will happen soon. I had a dream last night that I've had on numerous occasions previously. I'm in a boat moving rapidly toward an indefinite shore. On each previous occasion, that dream was followed by a major victory of our side, Gettysburg and others. That very night, President Abraham Lincoln attended a play at Ford's Theater, and he was assassinated. We're continuing our study of the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, we read a fascinating story that focuses on a confrontation between two young men. One is a slave and the other is a king. And this confrontation comes about in a very strange but simple way. The king had a dream. Now, in and of itself, there's nothing unusual about that, particularly in a land where the meanings of dreams meant so much. But the impression on the mind of this monarch was profound so that he was determined to know exactly what the dream meant. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 1 and 2. We read, Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. A whole entourage of wise men, astrologers, magicians, mediums, clairvoyants, they were all under the employment of the king. Well, the, the king employed them, well, for situations like this, to unravel the mysteries. Verse 3 The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Well, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. No problem, they insisted. We can tell you the meaning of this dream or any dream. Just tell us what the dream was. One big problem. You see, the king had forgotten the dream. Although he was positive that the dream was important, the God of heaven had made his mind blank to the details of the dream, I believe, so that these so-called wise men could not give the king the wrong interpretation of the dream. Verse 7. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. Well, the more these men hedged, the more impatient the king became. But they continued to tell him that his demand Well, it's not only unreasonable, but it was impossible. Look at verse 11. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Well, their inability to interpret the dream just infuriated the king and he sentenced all of the wise men to death. Now, Daniel and his his companions, as comparatively recent arrivals, they had not been consulted as to the interpretation of the dream, but they were numbered within that group of wise men. So when the executioner came to inform Daniel of this situation, Daniel asks him in verse 15, well, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. Well, Daniel hears the situation and he says, I'd like an audience with the king. Well, Daniel gets an audience with the king and he promised that if, he would, if the king would give him time, He would tell the king what the dream was, but also its interpretation. Essentially, staking his life upon God's promise to hear his prayer. You see, the failure on Daniel's part to keep his word, he knew, well, that was going to bring terrible retribution. The king had not the slightest notion concerning the dream. But Daniel, he knew someone who knew the dream. So what did Daniel do? Look down at verse 17. Daniel went to his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel and his friends spent the night in prayer, and the Lord revealed the dream to Daniel in a vision. But before Daniel returns to the king to share the interpretation, Daniel remembers to thank God. Well, the next day, instead of being brought before the executioners, Daniel now stands before the king. And without the slightest indication of boasting, Daniel tells the king God's message. Daniel reminds the king that the astrologers, the soothsayers, the magicians, the medians, the clairvoyants, they were unable to meet his demand. But look at verse 28. Look at what he says. Verse 28. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. So just, just picture the scene here with me as this ruthless powerful monarch, listen spellbound to what this 21-year-old wise man has to say. Let's go down to verse 31. We read, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Well, you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Well, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time, and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king." Well, you can almost hear the king saying, yes, that's exactly what I saw. Nothing added, nothing left out. But what in the world does it mean? Does it have any kind of meaning? Well, yes. It certainly has meaning. And the meaning of that dream has implications not only for Nebuchadnezzar, but for every other ruler and for every other person right down to the end of time. Let's go to verse 37 of Daniel 2. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hands and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, and then a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So, like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron." It will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. It's quite an interpretation. You see... Daniel says that the head of gold pictured Babylon. And under Nebuchadnezzar, well, Babylon was the recognized center, global center, of wealth and glory. The immense treasures that had been gathered by King Solomon and brought to Jerusalem, well, they were later confiscated and were carried off to Babylon. Tremendous quantities of gold and and bronze made Babylon the wealthiest city of its time. The Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar was not this city's beginning. In fact, it was believed that it was probably the first city built after the flood, at least according to Genesis 10.10. Well, Babylon's glory was short-lived. After only, what, 70 years, it passed into the hands of the Persian conqueror, the last king of Babylon was slain in the midst of a royal banquet. Now, the words of Daniel here in verse 39, after these shall arise another kingdom inferior to you. Well, that must have sounded strange to the king because usually superior conquers the inferior. But just as silver is inferior to gold in value, This next universal kingdom, Medo-Persia, it was inferior to Babylon in wealth and in luxury. Well, Persia, it became known for treasures of silver. In the Medo-Persian Empire, apparently all taxes had to be paid in silver. Well, then, Daniel says, comes the third kingdom, represented by brass or or bronze. Well, this was the Greek Empire, which by a rapid series of conquests replaced Medo-Persia. The bronze thighs, well, that was a foreshadow of the brazen-coated Greeks, as they were called. The Greeks, well, they became experts in the molding of bronze. Greek soldiers, well, they wore breastplates of bronze, helmets of bronze, shields of bronze, and bronze swords. Well, history tells us that by the time Alexander was 25, he had conquered the world, but he had never quite conquered himself. He conquers the world in some eight short years, but he slipped into silence at the age of 33. Then... Well, then came forth the fourth kingdom, the Iron Monarchy of Rome. For more than 500 years, Rome seemed almost unconquerable. Her standards waved from the British Isles to the Arabian Gulf, from the North Sea to the Sahara Desert, from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Euphrates. You see, God was working out His plan, while the Greeks carried their language throughout the Near and Middle East in preparation for the spread of the gospel, Rome, well, Rome built roads from Palestine all the way to Britain, making travel possible for all of the messengers of Christianity. In her enforcement of law, in her expansive postal system, these also aided the carrying of the news of salvation. The Pax Romana, two centuries of relative stability in the Mediterranean world facilitated Christian evangelism. The iron element, however, in the metal image was not to last forever. Because Daniel said it stood on feet of clay with a mixture of iron. Now, Daniel emphasized the feet and toes, stating that a fourth empire would not overthrow them. They would not be overthrown by another universal kingdom, but would be replaced by a collection of smaller nations who would war against and amongst themselves. These warring factions were actually the progenitors of the nations of modern Europe, some strong, some weak, as indicated by the mixture of iron and clay. But to me, the most important feature of this strange combination was their inability to adhere or to unite. During the 15 centuries, strong dictators... Tried to weld them together and build a a facsimile of that old Roman Empire. And at times, they got very near that goal, but they always failed. Whether it was Charlemagne, King Charles V, Louis XIV, Napoleon, Kaiser Wilhelm II, or even Adolf Hitler, every single one of them tried and they failed something mysterious always seemed to get in the way and block their success. Seven words, seven words of prophecy stood between these men and their success. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay. They will combine with one another in the seed of men but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Treaties, peace pacts, agreements of all kinds have been signed, sealed, and broken. As many as nearly 4,600 treaties and international guarantees and agreements were submitted before the old League of Nations, but between May the 10th, 1920, And May the 19th, 1939. But not one of those treaties prevented World War II. Well, before the First World War of 1914 to 1918, most of the European monarchs were related by marriage. But that didn't work. When this prophetic outline was first interpreted to Nebuchadnezzar, he was looking into the future scarcely any of which had been fulfilled. But today, as we sit here today, we look back over 2,500 years and we see that each segment of this prophecy has been remarkably fulfilled. How accurately history has met this prophetic forecast. You see, lots of things in life are unpredictable. Stock market the weather, but here's something that you and I can be sure of. History will end with only one king, one king who will be recognized by the entire universe, and that king's name, Jesus. You see, there is only one path to salvation, only one way to know abundant life, here and eternal life hereafter. That is to confess one's sins and to believe that Jesus' death on the cross was sacrifice for your sin and my sin. I mean, that's why we sing that old hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Do you know what the word cleft means? It's not one we use very often anymore. It means to cut open. Cut open, cleft. Jesus' side was cut open by a Roman spear, and it was all for us. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. You see, Christ, the rock, is the only way of salvation, and His kingdom owns the future. Though that kingdom started small, it grows rapidly. It's a society that welcomes all persons, regardless of race or status. A kingdom that demonstrates justice and mercy that hates sin with a passion, but loves the sinner forevermore. It is a cross-cultural society whose only entrance requirement is this, a confession. I am a sinner, and my only hope is that Jesus Christ died for me. How amazing. God revealed all that Through the dream of a pagan king, interpreted by a courageous, faithful young man named Daniel. What are your most prized possessions today in the kingdom of this world? Do you prize things in this kingdom more than you prize the things in the kingdom of our Lord Christ? All of this world's possessions, other than what you give away, will one day go up in smoke. But if your real treasure is safely invested in Christ the rock, then it will last forever. Several years ago, two amazing women left this world just a few months apart. One of them was called Princess Diana. The other, Mother Teresa. Well, Princess Di was the star of the jet set, star of the glamorous, but a tragic consensus queen. The other woman was tiny and very plain. The princess had unlimited possessions. Mother Teresa could put all her possessions in a suitcase. Princess Di was quite involved in the kingdoms of this world, while Mother Teresa was totally devoted to the kingdom of God. I wonder which of these two women was happier and more fulfilled. So let me ask you today, in which kingdom is your heart invested? Let us pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, may we take from the lessons of this prophecy the urgency of the times that very soon Jesus will return and establish his kingdom that will last forever. We pray that everyone within the reach of this message today will be prepared to meet him when he comes and live eternally with Jesus. Bless each and every viewer I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you're enjoying our series here on the book of Daniel. I love to study prophecy. You know, the accuracy by which prophecy is being fulfilled, has been fulfilled, is a testament to who God really is. You know, someone said that prophecy is God telling history in advance. Well, we always provide a resource for you to help you. And I have a little book here. It's called Decoding Bible Prophecy. Uh, It's a great way to get you started in better understanding God's messages contained in Bible prophecy. I'd love to send this book to you free of charge. It's a gift from us. If you'd like to receive it, here's the information you need.
1: To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com That's the Lessons for Living television website www.l4ltv.com You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030 Simcoe Conlon Post Office Oshawa, Ontario L1G 0A3 That's Post Office Box 27030 Simcoe Conlon Post Office Oshawa, Ontario L1G 0A3. 0 A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337, 1-800-972-0337. Operators are standing by now. Well, on our website, you can leave a prayer request and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support.
0: Well, we've come to the end of another program. Let me thank you again for taking the time to be with us uh, each and every week. You know, um, if you've missed any of the previous programs in this series or any of our programs, they're all available on our website at l4ltv.com. There's a tab there that says uh, previous programs. You can click on that. All of them are accessible there. Uh, you can probably also find them on our Facebook page, Facebook.com L4L Television, or on our YouTube channel. Uh, all of the programs are there. So if you missed one, don't panic. Go to the website, and from there, you can see all the previous programs. While on the website, check out the... Uh, Live appearances tab, that'll tell you where I'll be appearing live. And also there's a Donate Today tab, and if you could make a donation to keep the ministry on the air, we would truly appreciate that. You can follow me on Instagram, Santos underscore Bill, and on Twitter at Santos underscore Bill. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, website, check those out and you'll always be up to speed with where we are and the message that God has for you. Well, they're telling me we're all out of time. I want to thank you for joining us, and I look forward to doing this again next time. Until then, God bless you.